This has been a wonderful morning. My goodness, we had a room full of people here this morning at 9.15 and seeing you guys here at 11. Man, it's just a reason to thank God. He is here among us, uh, not just today, but this is, this is the life that we get to enjoy as followers of Jesus. And we know there's some of you here today who are searching out this Christian faith. Some of you are trying to explore what it means. Some of you feel like, you know, I, sh- I should be here. It's Easter. And, and I just want to say I'm glad you're here. So happy to have you. Our prayer is that you would see this resurrected Jesus that we're talking about and that he would change your life. Change and transform your life from this day forward where he would begin to create in you a new person in your heart and give you life. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But just to make sure you're still awake, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Today we're talking about hope. And we saw on Good Friday, this past Friday, that on the cross of Jesus, the disciples looked and they felt as if hope was lost. Hope was lost. And from Friday to early Sunday morning, there was no reason for them to have joy. They all they put, as Cynthia said, all their eggs in the basket of Jesus and he died and it was like, what's going on? They had no idea Sunday was coming. And we have the enjoyment of history, and we know that Jesus is alive. And the hope that was lost is now the hope that has risen and to make hope rise in our hearts. And that's what we want to talk about. You know, I'm not a huge college basketball fan, but I, I do follow at a distance. And you know this March is March Madness. This is a time in the college basketball season where they take the top 64 teams in college basketball and they go head-to-head in a one-game elimination playoff on the road to this final four. And then the championship, which is coming here in about a week or so. And what they do is they pair up the top team against the worst team in the tournament. And they keep, you know, having the second best to the second worst. And they try to line up teams like that, giving the favorite teams an easier road to the championship. But what you see oftentimes is that a team that was unexpected came up and spoils the favored team. Thank you very much, Michigan State, my pick for this year, who lost in the opening day. <laughs> and I was watching some ESPN analysts, and they were saying is this is the trick. When you are a favorite team, a heavy favorite team, you got to come out of the gates, and he says you got to step on their throats. You need this team to understand that they're out of their league, and they have no chance against you. But the analyst said, but, you know, the longer you let this team linger around, they begin to have confidence and hope, and they start believing in themselves. And before you know it, those are the teams who are underdogs who spoil the top-seeded teams. Well, at the cross of Jesus, Satan stepped on God's throat, and he thought he had put him away. He thought it was over. For a moment there, hell had won. Hell had rejoiced. But on that Sunday morning, God played the spoiler. And Jesus defeated death by death in order to give us life. And this is why we're here today, this Easter. We know that hope is a fragile thing, but hope that rises in our hearts is a hope that's unstoppable. This past week, I was playing Legos with my son, Lucas, and the way we play, like we always play, you got to have the good guys and the bad guys. There's no, there's no in-between. You never have, like, you create your Legos and you have a picnic. You know, there's always got to be a fight. And it's a good versus bad, and we're playing, and, 
and my son, you know, they have a fierce battle. You know, their, their, their limbs are getting blown apart and the toys are falling apart, destroyed. And my son all of a sudden says, oh, the bad guys are losing hope. And then the good guys ended up winning. I thought, you know, my six-year-old understands the power of hope. And when hope is lost, we begin to scatter. Proverbs 13 says, hope deferred makes a heart grow sick. You know, a lot of us have experienced loss of hope in life. We've experienced the wounds of things letting us down. And sometimes it's God himself. We expected God to come through in a particular way. We've prayed and we said, God, show up. And he didn't show up the way you expected. And your hopes were dashed. Maybe it's a failing marriage and it's creating lack of hope. Maybe it's the thing that you purchased, like a home or a car that you thought would give you joy, and all of a sudden all it does is give you debt, and there's no hope. Maybe it's choices you've made. We understand the sting of feeling that hope was lost, but few of us understand it to the extent in which the disciples felt it that Friday night, that Saturday morning, afternoon, night, and even early into Sunday morning hours. Hope was lost. Today, we're going to talk about how God brought hope where there was hopelessness. And God has you here today for a reason. And you come maybe searching for answers and hope in life. And there is a hope that goes beyond this life, that goes into eternity. There's nothing you can purchase. There's nothing you can do. There's nowhere you can go to make it happen. It's a surrendering of your life to Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that hope. And I I pray that you would leave today with a sense of, hey, I know that God had done this for me, and a true surrender of putting your faith in Jesus. And if you are a child of God today and you have put your faith in Jesus, I pray that God would put wind into your sails and you would rejoice as you leave today celebrating Jesus' resurrection. So we find ourselves in the book of Luke in the Bible, chapter 24. If you have a Bible, please turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take it home. That's our gift to you. That's our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. We're on page 885, Luke chapter 24. And we're going to take a look at what happened that Sunday morning. After the women went to the tomb and found it empty, and Peter and John ran there to check and verify what they saw. This is what takes place. It's a story of a conversation between two men, one of which we don't even know the name of him. The other's name is Cleopas. Both of them were followers of Jesus. Both of them felt their hopes were crushed. They lived in a city just outside of Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. And they made this seven-mile journey, about a two-hour walk from Jerusalem to the city called Emmaus. And as they're on their way, they have a conversation. Let's pick up here in chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, the day Jesus rose from the dead, that Sunday morning, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking, so you say talking? Talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking, say it again, talking? And discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Let's pause there. You've been before when you've walked down the street and you feel like someone's behind you. And they're getting a little bit closer and closer. And all of a sudden you're like, is this, this person like following me? And so Jesus is drawing near to them on this road to Emmaus, the city. Not only is he getting closer, but he gets all up in their business. Check out here in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. In verse 16, 
But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Jesus steps up into their conversation, and hey, fellas, what are you guys talking about? And you can imagine, like, um, excuse me, do we know you? Well, the thing is, they didn't recognize him. It says that they were kept from recognizing him in verse 16. Now, the words were kept are passive verb. That's a passive verb. They were kept. They didn't keep themselves from recognizing him. Something, or better yet, someone kept them from recognizing him. And as we see this story unfold, it's God himself who doesn't allow them to recognize Jesus. So you and me are left asking the question, why not? Jesus, you died on a cross. They saw it happen. Their hopes are dashed. And here they are, and you have an opportunity to just encourage them, Jesus. But that's not what he does. He asks them a question. What are you guys talking about? And I love their response in verse 18. Then one of them, I'm sorry, before that, he says, what is the conversation you guys are holding with each other as you walk? And then Luke writes this, and they stood still looking sad. They stood still looking sad. Jesus' question stops them in their tracks. They're walking home. They stop. They turn and look, and their face is downcast. They had the look of someone whose hopes were crushed. And they felt this. And family, I want you guys to try to feel this. You had followed him for three years. All your hope was there. And then your hope was nailed to a cross. And he died. So they stop, and they're looking sad at Jesus. And then we see in verse 18, one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Are, are you the only one who doesn't know what happened? See, their comment reminds us of the public nature of Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus didn't get crucified in the corner of some desert or some place where nobody saw him. He was on a hill with two other criminals and crowds surrounding and yelling, crucify him. Everybody in Jerusalem saw The sky became dark in the afternoon. And here Cleopas and his friend, they see Jesus, and he's asking them what they're talking about. And they're like, are you kidding me? Did you not see the sky turn black at 12 p.m. at noontime? Did did you not hear the crowds yelling, crucify him? Didn't you see on that mount three crosses? Who are you? Where have you been? Verse 19, Jesus said to them, what things? What things? They said, don't you know the things happen? He's like, what things? Well, we know about Jesus. He doesn't ask questions to find out. He asks questions to draw out. He didn't need to know what they were talking about. He knew it. He wanted them to express what they were talking about so he can show them what was going on. Jesus didn't know, but he needed to draw out what was going on. And they said to him, we're talking about the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And here this description they give of him. They say Jesus was a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. They're saying Jesus was special. This man was special. We saw him feed 5,000 people. 
with two fish and five loaves of bread. We, we saw him make a paralyzed man walk. We heard him teach in a way no one's ever taught. He was special. But then this, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. And not only did they deliver him, but they followed through with it and they crucified him. Verse 20, they crucified him. He was special, but he was condemned. And the greatest source of their sorrow in verse 21, he was their hope. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Cleopas and his friend are looking at this stranger on the road. And they're saying, man, we thought he was the one who was going to rescue us from the Roman oppression. We thought he was the one who was going to get us into this land and, and be the new king and we can serve him. We thought he was going to lead us out like Moses led the people out of Egypt. But he's gone. Our hopes are crushed. Now it's been three days, they say, since all these things had happened. Since the time when he was put a crown of thorn on his head. When he was nailed to a cross. When he was flogged and beaten and whipped and spit on and punched. It's been three days since a spear went into his side and blood and water flowed out. It's been three days when we knew he was surely dead. We feel the angst these men had as they walk home that Sunday. But then there's a wrench in their feelings. Not only do they feel angst, but there's a sense of puzzle. They're, they're puzzled. They're like, they're confused. Why? Well, look at verse 21. Verse 22, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, this morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Well, some of those who were with us, this is referring to Peter and John, went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Man, they were like, we were, we were thinking, you know, this is all over, and all of a sudden, the tomb's empty. Just imagine how they felt, how puzzled they were, confused. They didn't have a category for a Jesus that was crucified, let alone a Jesus that was crucified and resurrected. This wasn't on their radar. They're confused. They're like, what's going on? If you're like me, I'm thinking, Jesus, this is a great time to be like, put take down the hood. Guys, it's me. It's me. Guys, look at me. It's Jesus. That's me, you know. We're waiting for it, aren't we? But Jesus doesn't say that to them. He doesn't, he doesn't say it's me. He will later. But he knew what they needed, not what they thought they needed. See, when we are experiencing trials in life, and we feel our hope is just, just being crushed, and we're seeking God, saying, God, where's the answer here? And we know what we want to hear, and God doesn't tell us that, and we think, God, where are you? But God knows what we need when we need it. He knew what these two men needed when they needed it. And what they didn't need was to see Jesus just yet. They needed to understand that God had a plan. God had a plan for what took place. Jesus doesn't tell them. Instead, he does actually the quite the opposite. Look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Not only does Jesus not tell them it's me, he reprimands them. Like these guys are here mourning on the road to their home, sad as anything, hopes dashed, and Jesus is like, you're foolish and you're slow to believe. Why the reprimand? Well, yeah, they're slow to believe the women's story, but even more, Jesus says, you're slow to believe what the prophets have spoken. Jesus is referring to these scriptures of ours, this Bible. Jesus is saying, guys, God had made his plan clear in the pages of his word, and yet you are failing to see it. It's right there in plain sight. This past week, an Oxford University professor named Andrew Wiles was awarded $700,000 for solving a 358-year-old mathematical problem. So all you students out there, there is money in solving math problems. Work hard. He solved it in 1994 and got awarded this past week because this problem was one of over three centuries. God's plan is not like that mathematical equation where people are like, i got to figure this out. There's this man in read between the lines. It's, God has laid his plan in plain sight. You, you ever seen different patterns, and you're looking at it, and you're trying to figure out, like, man, something's off, but I can't put my finger on it? You remember Sesame Street? One of these things just don't belong here. One of these things is not the same. If you're having a hard time figuring it out, you're like, oh, then you feel really dumb after you realize it. Like, oh, there's a ball. Those are all squares. <laughs> it's, it's been there in plain sight. Or how about when your wife comes home, she looks at you and says, honey, what's different about me? And you're like, you go straight for the hair, don't you? <laughs> oh, it's the haircut. And it's not the haircut. You're like, you dyed your hair. And it's, oh, it's not the, the hair dye. And you're like, um, it's the lipstick. <laughs> After that, you're just toast. You got no other options. Busted for sure. Because they're in plain sight. She's like, look at me. That's not the eyebrows, not the hair. You're just wondering what it is. It was there in plain sight. And Jesus is saying, guys, this is right here in God's plan. You know, I love talking to different ones of you here at the brook. I heard someone tell me this Friday night. Someone even tell me this this morning. That they heard some of the same truths all their lives about who God is and this resurrection of Jesus and his death on the cross. And they heard it time and time and again. But it never registered to them until Jesus removed the scales. And now the same songs they sung a week earlier now mean something different a week later. Because Jesus removed the scales. It was always there in plain sight. Jesus says in verse 26, Was it not necessary that the Christ, that's himself, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? What, wasn't this necessary? Wasn't this God's plan all along? And then it says this in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You need to know this about the Bible. It is composed of 66 small books, 39 in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and 27 in the New. Every book of the Bible points to Jesus. From the very first pages to the very end, it all points to Jesus. And here Jesus is there with Cleopas and his friend, and he says, didn't you know 
what this says. And I'd imagine he took him to Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit. And God cursed them. But then he gave Eve this hope. He says, Eve, one day you're going to have a, a descendant of yours. And you know that serpent that deceived you? Your descendant is going to crush his head. Point to Jesus. I'd imagine that Jesus mentioned the Passover when God was taking his people out of Egypt. And he said, if you put the blood of a perfect lamb on your doorpost, I will pass over you and you will be rescued from my judgment. I'd imagine Jesus said that the Christ was that Passover lamb, the perfect one who never sinned. And by his blood, you find forgiveness and God passes over the judgment you deserve because of him. I'd imagine Jesus took him to 2 Samuel 7, where God gives a promise to King David and says, one of your descendants will sit on your throne as king forever. Points to Jesus. Or I'd imagine Isaiah 53, where it says that he took our sin in our shame, and by his wounds, we are healed from our sin. Points to Jesus. Or maybe Psalm 16, where God says that he will not let his Holy One remain in the grave and see corruption. Jesus is the Holy One and didn't stay in the grave. I'd imagine he took him to Ezekiel 37, where Ezekiel has a vision of dry bones. And God puts skin on those bones and breath in those lungs and makes them raise from the dead and gives them life, pointing to what Jesus would do. I'd imagine Jesus opened up the scriptures. I said, don't you see? This was all necessary. There was never a moment in all of this where God was not in control. Everything, can you say everything? Everything Everything happened according to God's plan. Jesus unpacks for them God's plan. And I could imagine those men were like, what? What? How did we miss this? Their ears were opened, and now it was time for their eyes to be opened. We see in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further. Jesus is playing them here. But they urged them strongly, saying, hey, man, stay with us, for it's toward evening already, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went and spent the day with them. He went there. Verse 30, And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them, like with the 5,000. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Can you imagine? They're hearing it and finally they're seeing him. They saw him. But no sooner that they saw him, verse 31 says at the end, he vanished from their sight. Jesus opened their ears and he opened their eyes and he showed them the truth. Man, that's what we want to see happen this morning for you. That your ears would be open to the truth of who God is and what he's done through Jesus. And that your eyes would be open and you would see that God is real. That Jesus is alive. Well, these men, like us, When we hear truth, we respond to it. And as Jesus left their side, verse 32, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Their hearts are burning 
And it wasn't acid reflux. It wasn't indigestion. Their hearts burned. And I asked the question, burned with what? It burned as he opened the scriptures, but burned with what? I believe it burned with the very thing that was lost. In verse 21, they said, we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. Their hopes were crashed. And now, as Jesus unpacks God's plan, their hope was restored. Their hope was rising. Hope was burning in their hearts. They realized Jesus was alive. So these men, they can't stay, stay there. They get there. They open the meal. Jesus shows himself. He leaves. Their hearts are burning. And they're like, we got to go back to Jerusalem. Back seven miles. It's already evening. The sun is coming down. But we got to go tell somebody. And that's what happens. When Jesus reveals himself to you, and you understand he died for you and rose for you and gave life to you, when you turn from your sin and put your faith in him, you can't help but tell other people. You can't help but open your mouth. And they race back, and they show up at this room where all the disciples are gathered, and they're like, boy, we got big news for you guys. And before they can get their news out, the disciples have news of their own. Verse 34, they said to them, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. Well, then Cleopas and his friend told them what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. These men are there, thrilled in what was happening. And in case there was any doubt, Jesus now does what they've been all longing for. Verse 36, while they were talking, Jesus himself stood among them. He showed up. And he said, peace to you. They were startled. They were frightened. Verse 38, Jesus says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And yet they still were like unbelieving, like what? This is unbelievable. You see in verse 41, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, Jesus said to them, have you anything here to eat? And you are like, why? And it wasn't like Jesus was like, guys, man, it's, it's been a long weekend for me. I mean, the sin of the world on my shoulder, you know, three days in the tomb. Can you, can you give me some tilapia? This, this is when Jesus is saying, you know what, just feed, feed a brother here. Jesus wants them to know, hey, a spirit and a ghost, that doesn't eat. I'm a resurrected human. When this food comes in my mouth, it's not falling down on the floor. I'm alive. I'm alive. Jesus is there with his disciples, alive. But the question still lingers for us. Why? Why did Jesus die? Why did he raise? Well, in part, he says there at the end of verse 44, so he, scriptures must be fulfilled. Well, God talked about it for 1,600 years, and now he's going to fulfill it. God follows through on his promises. And his timing is always perfect. But that wasn't the only reason. Jesus says in verse 46, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 
and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You see, this is what the Bible teaches us, and this is the hope of Easter. It starts on Friday at the cross, that Jesus, the perfect man, truly God, truly man, took your sin, and you know you've got it. If you're in denial, you're lying to yourself. You know your thoughts you want no one else to know. You know your heart that you want no one else to know. You know what you've done that you want no one else to know. You've got it. We've got it. We've all got it. Sin has infiltrated who we are. God is holy and perfect, and therefore we can't be with God. Does it even make sense for imperfection and rebellion to dwell with holiness and beauty forever? No. God's a just God, and our sin needs to be judged and punished And your sin and my sin was judged and punished on the cross, on the perfect Jesus. And that victory will be applied to you if you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Jesus at the cross paid for our sin. And that's where the repentance and forgiveness that Jesus talks about. Repentance means turning away from your sin and turning to God. He's not asking you to simply affirm that Jesus died and rose, but he's saying, turn your life and choose to walk for him. But Jesus' death paid for our sin, but there's still one more enemy that needed to be defeated. It's an enemy that you or me will never escape. It's the enemy called death. You will die one day. I will die one day. I could die tomorrow, family. You can die tomorrow. Jesus needed to not only conquer our sin, but needed to conquer death. Jesus dying for us and staying in the tomb to this day would not have conquered your redemption. He needed to rise. And rise, he did. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 tell us that death is one of the tools in Satan's toolbox to bring fear into your life and bring despair and ultimately separate us from God. But Jesus took Satan's tool right out of his own hand and with death, he gave us life. This is the hope of Easter. Hope was lost on the cross and hope rose from the dead to make hope rise in your hearts when you trust in him. This is our God. And Jesus rose to make you into a worshiper of the true God. That's what God's plan all along. In the movie Avengers, there's a scene at the end where Hulk is fighting with Loki, the enemy God. And they're fighting back and forth, and finally Loki puts his foot down and says, Enough of this. I am a God. Hulk grabs him by the foot. And begins to slam him from one side to the other and throws him across the room. He walks away and is like, puny God. This This is what the cross and the resurrection tells us. When we choose to worship anything else other than the true God of the Bible, it's a puny God. Whether you're worshiping your dreams, your children, you're worshiping sex, whether you're worshiping your addiction, whether you're worshiping yourself and what you want, those are puny gods because they can't deal with your sin and they can't defeat death. 
Jesus did it. And he is the one true God. And he has come to make you a worshiper of him. But that only happens when you raise your white flag and surrender to him. If you've done that today, then you can rejoice because death on this life does not get the final word. There will be a resurrection of the dead. And for those who have trusted in Jesus, they will raise to eternal life and be with their heavenly father and look upon the lamb who was slain for them forever. And those who have rejected him will enter into an eternal death and separation. Jesus came to make possible that you wouldn't have to suffer that death. It's often our hard hearts is our pride that pushes away. And Jesus is saying, bow your hearts and your heads and worship me as your redeemer. Forty days after Jesus rose from the dead, he took his disciples to that mountain, and it was time for him to ascend into heaven. And in verse 50, he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him. They worshiped Jesus and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. If Jesus was not God, he could not be worshiped. He would have said, guys, don't bow to me, bow to God. But no, Jesus is truly God, the resurrected God. And he receives our worship because that's why he came. The call for you now is will you be a worshiper of him? What I love is this. When Cleopas and his friend were talking to Jesus in verse 21, they said that we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. But that's exactly what he did. He redeemed his people. He redeemed us from our sin. He pulled us out of our bondage. Jesus came and accomplished what he set out to do. Oh, how we pray that today you put saving faith into Jesus, our resurrected deliverer. There's a modern-day hymn that puts these words in the most beautiful of ways. It says, There in the ground his body lay, Light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. This is Easter, family. His resurrection has brought life. And if you are a Christian today, 
Oh, how I pray you would leave with a skip in your step. And that you, like these two men, would have that burning heart with hope and say, I've got to tell somebody. I've got to go. Even if it's seven miles, I've got to tell somebody that Jesus is alive and has purchased me with his blood. And if today you've yet to give your life to him, man, we pray that today would be that day. And that you would leave today not only celebrating Jesus' resurrection, but you would leave today celebrating your very own. See, when Jesus comes in our lives, the old you dies, a new you comes. And that's the hope of Easter. Hope was lost on the cross. Hope rose from the dead to make hope rise in your hearts. Would you trust in him? One moment, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come on up to the front and to the back. And they want to pray with you. If you come with a burden from this past week, maybe something crushed your hopes, and you're really battling with this, you're battling with God, let them pray with you. Let them remind you that God doesn't always give the answer we need at the moment that we think we need, but the answer that we, he knows we need. Let them pray with you today if you say, you know what, I'm done with my puny gods. I'm going to trust in the spoiler, Jesus, who conquered death. Whatever burden you come with, we want to pray with you. So let's rise to our feet. Prayer team, would you guys come on up right now to the front and to the back, and let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you that death does not get the final word, that Jesus conquered it. And even today, Lord, we pray that you might save some for the praise of your glory. And God, may your church rise up fully confident in our resurrected Jesus who took food to eat and who's now ascended to the Father. Jesus, you paid it all. All to you we owe. Though sin had left a crimson stain, you washed it white as snow. We worship you. Amen. Again, please come forward or go to the back to be prayed with. We'd love to pray with you. Let's rise it, lift up our voices and rise them up to God's praise.